In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. The second and final main point from today is that Joshua slays the giants, but Israel plunders the house. That's the shadow way of stating it. The substance way of stating it is that Jesus binds the strong man and the church takes the land. In your notes, I've written this, Joshua thoroughly crushed all the strongholds of the Canaanite kings. And in this sense, Joshua took the whole land, as chapter 11 concludes. However, there were still many small towns and villages remaining. It was the task of each individual tribe to fight and plunder the land that was specifically apportioned to them as their inheritance. If these tribes failed to do so, it was not because of any lack in the power of God, but their own failure to take for themselves what Joshua had given and allotted to each of them. In the same sense, Jesus, who is the ultimate Joshua, has already defeated the enemy and conquered the land, but he also calls us into battle to further secure what is already ours. Mark chapter three, verse 27, Jesus says this, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. This is what Jesus has already done 2000 years ago in his life, his death, his resurrection and glorious ascension to the right hand of God, the father almighty. Jesus has bound the strong man. This does not mean, let me get specific here without just the post-millennial platitudes. Let me get specific. Satan has not yet been cast into the lake of fire. That is a futurist event that will occur, but has not yet occurred. But Satan has been thoroughly bound in such a way that he is no longer able to deceive the nations, that is, deceive the nations to the same degree, in the same manner, with the same level of delusion that he once did before the work of Christ was finished. Satan still prowls around today in this gospel age as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. But his leash, which he has always been on for the record, has been tightened and severely shortened by the work of Christ. Now, Satan has always been on a leash in the sense that even before the earthly ministry of Christ, Satan still had to report to God in regards to what he was able to do. In the book of Job, we see the sons of God, the Elohim, Ben Elohim, they were gathered before God in a council of sorts and that Satan was among them. He appears before God and God says, from where do you come? Well, what have you been up to? From wandering to and fro on the face of the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan essentially says, paraphrasing here, yeah, he's faithful, but only because you've blessed him so much. 
and who would bite the hand that feeds him? But if you take away that blessing, if you allow me to intervene, he'll curse you. And God does allow Satan to intervene. But notice that the parameters are all set. Number one, Satan has not already previously intervened because God has set a hedge of protection around Job. He has not been permitted, allowed to intervene. When God does finally allow Satan to intervene, he sets the parameters of what Satan can do. That Satan can take away his wealth, even his children, but he cannot harm Job in his flesh. Then Satan comes back and says, well, he still hasn't cursed you, but life for life, flesh for flesh. If you allow me to afflict his flesh, his physical health, then he'll curse you. And God allows Satan to do even that. But at every step of the way, God determines the boundaries. So my point is this, even before the coming of Christ, Satan is on a leash. Satan is on a leash in the very sense that all creatures are on a leash. Logically speaking, there can only be one autonomously sovereign being in the universe. God is that autonomously free being. The freedom of the potter cannot be restrained or inhibited by whatever freedom the clay might possess. And so because of God's autonomous liberty and his sovereign freedom, all creatures, including Satan, have always been limited in their freedom. But Satan was further, and I would argue greatly further, limited, restrained, bound as a strong man of the house being the world. Woe to you, O earth, for the devil has been cast down to you. That the earth was, in a sense, Satan's house. That Adam was given dominion by God, but he forfeited his dominion as a steward in God's house. That is God's earthly cosmos. Adam as the federal head, steward in the house of God, this physical creation. He forfeited his dominion and handed it over to Satan by his sin. So that Satan becomes the strong man of the house on fair terms. This is why Satan, when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness, he, he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, Jesus' response is not to say, well, I don't care about politics, so kingdoms don't really interest me. I just like to be a pietist. That's not his response. But Jesus declines the offer, resists the temptation of Satan, but not because he is uninterested in political kingdoms of this earth, but because he is uninterested in having those kingdoms given to him by Satan because he fully intends to take them. And he does. But it is a real offer. When Satan makes this offer to give the kingdoms of this earth to, to Jesus, he is offering to Jesus what he actually has dominion over at that time, but no longer. By Jesus' life and death and resurrection and glory's ascension to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, these kingdoms of the earth no longer belong to Satan. The Third Reich, as bad as it may have been, could be measured in a matter of months. But there has been no, nothing like Babylon. Nothing like Assyria or Persia. 
The world has been an incredibly dark place, and it still is dark in many regards, but not like it once was, because Jesus is the light of the world, and he has come into the world. Now, men love the darkness and hate the light because their deeds are evil. And like cockroaches, unregenerate man left in his sin scatters from the light of Christ and congregates in dark corners of the world and continue to rebel against God, trying, seeking, attempting to make the world as dark as he possibly can. But darkness cannot cast out light. Light progressively and gradually through the work of Christ, is casting out darkness. And so Joshua, he is the one who drives out and conquers, and Caleb, with his help, conquers the giants in the land of Canaan. And then he apportions the land to Israel, the people of God. But that is not to say it is true, and our text ends with these words, the land ceased. It had rest from war. But as you'll see later, there were still plenty of battles left to be fought. But none of those battles were ultimately the war in the sense that Joshua faced as he led Israel in driving out all the main juggernaut kings and kingdoms. Joshua binds Satan in a sense. And Israel then plunders the house. Joshua removes the kings. He chops off the head of the snake. And then he says, there's still adversaries to be dealt with, but you got it from here. And so too, Jesus in the ultimate sense is the final Joshua. He binds Satan. That does not mean that Satan doesn't have any minions or that Satan himself has been cast into the lake of fire. But Satan is bound. His leash, he still has certain ability to tempt, to push, to prod, to deceive. But his leash has been severely shortened. His influence has been severely lessened. And although we are right in the middle of a spiritual war still to this day, the most decisive battle of this war, the Battle of Bunker's Hill, has already been fought at the hill of Calvary, and the decisive victory has already been ensured. So that we're simply following up with what Christ has already finished. That's what we see in our text today. God's grace in his presence, but also providence, allowing us to face smaller adversaries first in his kindness, progressively building to facing the Anakim, some of our greatest giants, one example being our own death, last after having been matured in sanctification. And also that Jesus is the better Joshua and that the sting of death has already been removed and that Satan is bound, if in no other way he is bound in this sense, he's still alive, he's still on the prowl. But he ha only had, he has many weapons in his arsenal, but there was only one weapon that was truly lethal, a lethal weapon. And Christ has disarmed him from that lethal weapon. Do you know what that lethal weapon was? Unforgiven sin. The one lethal weapon that, that, that Satan had possessed 
that could ultimately and eternally destroy the sons of men is the penalty of our sin, the weapon of condemnation, and a condemnation that is not a mere accusation to discourage people, but a condemnation that was factually true. You sinned against the triune God, a thrice holy God. But what Jesus has accomplished by his death and resurrection is that the, the teeth, the fangs have been ripped out of the lion's mouth. He roars. Don't get me wrong. He roars. But his bark is much bigger than his bite these days. He has weapons, but his best, final, eternal, lethal weapon has been stripped out of his hands. That he no longer can point to unforgiven sin and say that the justice of God demands eternal hell because that sin has been paid for in full. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. This is why the righteous are as bold as lions. Because the greatest lion of the tribe of Judah was slain for the sins of men so that we stand righteous before God, no longer under any condemnation, so that all the accusations of the enemy ultimately ring hollow. That his gun... All of the bullets in the chamber have been removed. He can bark, but he can't bite. Not in any eternal, final way. Not for the people of God. And so we plunder the house. 